Hello everyone, I'm Jonathan Little. I'm here today with episode 299 of Weekly Poker Hand. I want to thank you for being here with me today. We are again playing 5, 10, 25, no limit at Best Bet Jacksonville. And today I promise we're not going to be observing over me, overly maniacal poker. This hand plays out way more normally than the previous few episodes. So here we are, Don playing 2,800 deep, under the gun, opens it up to $100 with a mystery hand. We don't know what he has. And I don't think we get to know what he has until the very end of this hand. Folds around to small blind, who calls with, uh, well, another mystery hand. Big blind folds 8-6 offsuit. And then Matt and the third blind, who's going to be the main focus of this hand, elects to call with 10-9 offsuit. And I know a lot of cash game players don't like to hear this, but you definitely definitely, definitely need to be folding out hands like 10-9 offsuit against a four big blind under the gun raise, even multi-way. 10-9 is going to flop quite poorly. When you get top pair, you're not loving it. If any money goes in the pot, when you get, um, well, a straight, that's clearly good, but that doesn't happen all that often. This is just a scenario where your hand performs poorly. And if your hand performs poorly, you don't need to be playing it for three big blinds more. It's very different if you're facing a min raise because then you just need to realize way less equity. But so it's not going to work out for you with the 10-9 offsuit. A lot of cash game players are way, way, way too call happy from the big blind, and it costs them loads of money long term. I mean, I think the way a lot of people look at this, they think, all right, well, I'm probably going to win about a third of the time. And, you know, maybe you do. The problem is, is that you're going to be losing way more than your fair share of the big pots in this scenario. And even then, you're not going to win 30% of the time. So this is a spot where you just must fold for $75 more. Toby called 5-4 of hearts on the button, by the way, which I think is also probably a little bit loose given the initial raiser only has 2,700, um, 100 big blinds. If we were playing much deeper, then I think calling would at least become reasonable. But even then, I think calling the 5-4 or five four suited of hearts is not a great play either. All right, so flop comes 9-8-4. Toby has... I'm sorry, Matt has top pair, Toby has bottom pair. Don still has a mystery hand. He opened under the gun, don't forget. We are playing 100 big blinds effective. And now, Matt, with his top pair from the third blind, he has 10-9 on 9-8-4, two clubs. He has the 10 of clubs. He elects to lead. I absolutely hate leading here. The times you want to lead, in general, from a GTO point of view, are when you have... Um, a very good made hand that is susceptible to being outdrawn. That's usually going to be something like two pair. Or when you have a draw that is not good enough to check call or check raise. And top pair type hands do not fit in either of those categories. Because if you bet here and get called, you have no clue if you're ahead or behind. And if you get raised, you have no clue if you're ahead or behind. And if they fold, your opponents were probably drawing relatively thin anyway. So leading in this scenario essentially forces your opponent to either play well or put you in a horrible spot. And that's not where you want to be. Matt immediately picks up his phone and starts playing with it. Don't do that in the Mike Postle era or post-Mike Postle era. You should not be on your phone during a hand. You should never do anything that makes people think that you might be shady. And uh, leading and then getting on your phone is not really what you want to be doing. All right. So he leads for 175 And now Don, with our mystery hand, makes it 450 bucks under the gun. Ooh, so this is exactly what we were talking about, right? This is where it gets really, really dicey for the 10-9. I mean, when you lead and get raised, you're already hating it. This is a spot where what's under the gun really raising with? It's going to be raising with 
either effective nut hands, which are going to be over pairs or sets, or is going to be raising with draws. And the logical draws here are flush draws, probably ace high, king high, queen high flush draws, or jack 10, which all of those hands have loads of equity against you. So this is exactly where you don't want to be. Toby now with his bottom pair is an easy fold. And Matt with his 10-9, I mean, what are you going to do? This is exactly the toughest spot to be in. I don't know if you all can hear Mr. James in the room next to me. He's supposed to be sleeping. Instead, he's yelling at the door. Oh, may have to re-record this video. Real life for all of you. Anyway, Matt likes to call. Turn is the three of clubs giving Matt now top pair with the 10 high flush draw. Again, a very marginal hand. Matt now wises up and checks. And this is another really rough spot if Don bets because, well, if you go through that range I just laid out, uh, Don wins with his overpairs. Don wins with his flush draws. They just made a flush. And so the only hand that Don is currently losing with, in my mind, is Jack-10 or Queen-Jack or Jack-10, Queen-Jack or Queen-10. And notice that Matt actually blocks some of those with his 10 in his hand. So... I think if you face another bet here, you just need to fold. But notice, this three of clubs isn't even that scary of a turn. I mean, it's a bad one, but it's not that scary. But realize all the bad turns that could come. Any, any uh, king is, well, ace is bad, king is bad, queen is bad, jack is bad, 10 could easily be bad, club is bad. All those cards could be bad. And even then, like you still just may be losing to an overpair. So even like a two of diamonds could be bad. So this is a spot where Matt has really put himself in a bad spot just by leading the flop. And a lot of people make this mistake where they think they have the best hand, so they lead. But that's not a good reason to lead at all. So anyway, if Don puts any more money in the pot, I think Matt has a pretty easy fold. Also notice Don only has $2,200 behind and the pot's already $1,200. So if he makes any bet, it's going to be like $800. Bucks. And uh, then he's easily setting up a river jam. Looks like he actually bets rather big. Kind of surprised he bets so big. With anything, because like right here, if you have an effective nut hand, you are pretty much already pricing your opponent out with any bet size. Like say you are sitting here with pocket kings. Your opponent's probably not getting the right odds to call. He does bet $1,000 though. I'm usually not a big fan of these bets that are about the size of the pot that leave what will be a third pot behind because I think you're going to get a lot of fold equity when you make this bet size. Now, maybe he wants a lot of fold equity with Jack-10, but if he's playing all of his range in the same manner, well, he doesn't really want a lot of fold equity when he has aces or a set or a flush, right? So I think in this scenario, pretty much no matter what Don has, I would have bet more like 700, and then I would have jammed the river for closer to two-thirds pot or half pot, something like that. So what does Matt do? Again, easy fold here. Yes, you have the 10 high flush draw. It could be dead. Yes, you have top pair. It could be dead. For all we know, maybe he's just straight up dead across the board if he's against ace high flush, right? If he's against a set, yeah, he's live, but... Barely. If he's against pocket kings with a king of clubs, he's very close to dead. So this is a spot where Matt just does not want to be. So how would I have played this hand in Matt's shoes? Well, first off, we would have just folded preflop notice, right? We would have just completely sidestepped the scenario. And then on the flop, I would have just checked called. On the turn, I would have just checked called. And on the river, I would have just checked called. And moved on with my life. Instead, he's put himself in a scenario where Don should be very polarized on the initial razor. And when your opponent's very polarized and a lot of the draws come in on the turn, just got to get out of the way. He does make the call. Lighting that $1,000 on fire, I can already tell you. Because really, you're only happy against Queen Jack, Queen 10, and Jack 10. River's a queen. Oh, so now you lose to literally every hand. That makes any logical sense. Maybe you beat 7-6 uh, for fun. <laughs> but 
you really lose to everything now. So Matt does check. Don has $1,000 left or $1,200 into the 3,600 pot and he puts all of his money in. Easy fold, easy, easy fold because you lose to literally everything. Now, maybe you think Don would no longer value bet a hand like pocket aces when the queen comes. I mean, to be fair, he probably shouldn't. But even then, you still lose to jack 10, one of the obvious bluffs. Uh, queen jack, queen 10 probably won't bluff, but you know doesn't need to. Or wouldn't, wouldn't bet the river because it doesn't need to. Um, you still lose to the flushes, right? Even if he randomly had ace, queen, or king, queen, he just got there. So you're only beating here ace, jack, which makes no sense. Ace, 10, which you block and makes no sense. King, jack, and king, 10, which also make no sense. So the only way you're really winning here is if the under-the-gun raiser is an absolute lunatic. And I realize there are some lunatics in this game, but usually the guy playing 100 big blinds deep who's uh, you know being nice and stoic and covering up like this probably is not a lunatic. He probably just has a good hand. And if I had to guess, it's probably just a flush at this point or maybe a set. Looks like the 10-9 is going to fold. Oh, no, he's tricking us. I always wonder what's going through people's mind whenever they're like looking back at their cards, playing with their chips some more. In this scenario, you need to be thinking, what does my opponent's range look like? You need to be going through the exercise we just went through where what is he raising with under the gun? What is he raising our flop bet with? Immediately should be thinking good draws and good made hands. And on the turn, half the draws got there and on the river, the other half of the draws got there. So 10-9 is just stone dead here. He does call though. And um, well, I see two big cards. Is it the uh, King Jack? He wrapped the table. That usually means you win. Oh, no. He was wrapping the table because it means he wins, apparently. Not a big fan of wrapping the table when you win. You want? You all want a poker history lesson? Tapping the table means, nice hand, sir. After you win a hand, you probably shouldn't look at your opponent and say, nice hand, sir. <laughs> it's usually not what you want to do. That said, etiquette is something that... Uh, I used to care a lot about, but at this point, I realize people just do not observe proper etiquette at all in many aspects of life. So if someone if someone beats you in a pot and they say, nice hand, realize they probably don't know what they're saying. So that's going to be it for today. Uh, Don did have the ace queen of clubs, by the way. So, you know, just the nuts. Story checks out, right? Raise under the gun. Raise the flop with the nut flush draw. Kept betting with the nuts on the turn, although I really don't like his big bet size. That does not make sense to me because your opponent's drawing dead. And um, then obviously put the rest in on the river, so... Nothing fancy, but when you have the nuts, uh, you're very happy. That said, like I said, Matt should have just folded preflop. And this is a great example of what I was saying right at the top of this episode, where you just don't need to play this hand. Bad things happen when you play bad hands out of position, facing strong ranges for a lot of money. So sidestep all of this and just get out of the way. So that's me it for this episode of Weekly Poker Hand. If you enjoyed this, Check out my training site, pokercoaching.com. I have been working hard over the last few years to make the training site that I wish I had whenever I was starting at poker and also the site that I want today. I've hired many of the absolute best coaches and many of the absolute best poker players in the world who have done a lot of private coaching, but no coaching to a wide audience. And I have gathered them there for you. We have Jonathan Jaffe, Faraz Jaka, Michael Acevedo, Alex Fitzgerald, Evan Jarvis, all sorts of great poker players. Head over there and check it out at pokercoaching.com. Good luck, have fun, and thanks again for watching.